The information in this podcast is educational in general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision. Mm-hmm. All okay. right. Give me the countdown. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of In the Market Trenches. If this is your first time checking us out, I'm Eric Fury, joined with Gary Reby. Uh, we have a great guest for you today. Before I get into the introduction of the guest, remember, you can find us anywhere podcasts are available. You can check us out at inthemarkettrenches.podbean.com. Check us out at snn.network. You could also check us out on the SNN YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash snnwire. We are joined today by Dan Shum. Thank you so much for being here, Dan. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited about this one. We've been reader, readers of your blog for a long time. Uh, we, we always, whenever I get an email that comes from no-name stocks, I'm always, I always make sure that I, I spent, put 10 to 15 minutes aside to go through it. And so this is, this is really exciting for us. Thanks for doing the blog and thanks for coming on. Yeah, this is good. This is good. Um, I love having the blog. I like connecting with people. Uh, it's all good. How did you get the blog started? Oh, um, well, I was really inspired by other bloggers. And um, so I started, I started in the financial space like, like eight years ago. So I'm an engineer. I have no like financial background. Um, I just started like reading books. I had an audiobook subscription. So I listened to books, Kramer and, and Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Mary Buffett. And, and eventually I found my way to Jay Jun's um, Old School Value which was a great blog, um, very educational, tons of great posts. And he had on there like different blogs that he followed. So then I started yeah. finding like oddball stocks and OTC adventures and shadow stock and all these. And I just loved it. I thought these guys are amazing. Like they're finding this stuff that's so cheap and they're right. And then it goes up and it works. And it's just like, there's not, you know, I used to go on Seeking Alpha and you would, and I would follow these big companies, you know, Wells Fargo or, or Microsoft or something. And there'd be like 10 articles a day. And mm-hmm. I just, you just start like, how can you even compete against these people? Right. But then you got these other small time guys that were really finding good stuff. And so eventually like I, I wrote up a stock um, just on Jay John. He used to have this, like this, uh, this chat board. And so I wrote up one on there and then I, I wrote it up again onto um, Seeking Alpha mm-hmm. and it really made me like know the stock. So before that, I didn't ever know much about my stocks. Like I would buy them because like because I read it on a blog or because I read it on on Seeking Alpha or something. Right. But then once I had to write about it, like I had to research much deeper. And so I got to really feel like I knew more about the stock. I was more confident it, it helped me improve. So then when I was, I was found another uh, stock I wanted to write about, but I didn't want to do it on Seeking Alpha again because they have this stupid paywall. They hide everything. Yeah. And so I thought, well, you know, I think these other guys' blogs are amazing. I'll start my own and then just kind of see how it goes. And I didn't think it would, like, I didn't think it would get as many posts as I've been able to write. Um, I figured I would have like a couple ideas per year, but then it's just kind of snowballed and it helps. I do it because it helps me really. It's like it, um, it has made me improve so much more as an investor. Um, it also has like, I've met so many people from it. Um, well, when you write well and you have interesting ideas and you're looking at possibly the most nuanced 
<laughs> darkest places in the market, uh, you get some followers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I remember a lot of those blogs around the same time. And, you know, one of the things that always bothered me about it was I'd go and look up some of these stocks that they're writing about and I'd find that they'd already moved a lot. And, like, I wanted to be like, well, wouldn't it be better, like, if I knew about them before they wrote them up? And that's why, like, we start, like, so I sort of, like, inverted the, the question of how to approach these things. And that's how we sort of started down the path of looking at, like, really obscure stuff and just sort of being an expert rock, rock flipper. And uh, uh, it's it's humbling to be in the presence of an even more expert rock flipper because I think you do you, you flip over and you look for things that I don't even think we would find. So <laughs> our, our hats off to you. Um, you mentioned a little bit about um, your background. There's a lot of different there, – there were a number of different things that I wanted to ask about, but uh, just – uh, walk, walk us through sort of your, your, your evolution as an investor. So you started doing a little bit of blogging. Um, you start on the mic. You, you, did you start on some of these micro cap and dark stocks and, and just sort of stay there or did it evolve over time? Um, so, no, I started with huge ones. Like, like I started just by, you know, I had no background in stock market, anything. So when I started reading these books, um, like I didn't know what common stock was or what a dividend was or anything. And, so I wasn't comfortable with these tiny companies, right? Like I read these Mary Buffett books for like the first time I bought stocks was after a Mary Buffett book. It was called like with the Warren Buffett stock portfolio or something where she, she laid out like 20 of his stocks. Why does he own them? Um, the history kind of like some general conservative estimate of value based on like average PE multiple and stuff over the last 10 years, something like that. But anyways, yeah. the ones she wrote about were these huge, durable companies that have been around for a hundred years, you know? And so that's what I bought. So I bought like Wells Fargo and I bought Microsoft and Union Pacific and Oracle. And I don't know, a handful of them. Those were the first ones I bought. Right. And then, um, and I, I, you know, I used the, it was like a value approach. So, so they were cheap, I think in my mind, you know, but then, like I said, I would follow them on seeking alpha and you just start seeing all these other people following it and writing about it and knowing way more than me. And I just like, you know, you, I just start thinking like, why, how can I compete with these people? Like, you know, it's for me, it's a hobby that I do after work or at lunch break or whatever, like while the kids are falling asleep. And so then I, you know, as I found these other blogs, like, like um, old school value and, and Whopper investments and these ones that they were writing about these little stocks, um, I started to kind of dabble in those, buy some of those stocks and they went well. And it was a lot easier for me to follow because there was no news, you know, like right. I, want to, I want to know about the stock. So if somebody writes an article or if I see a filing or something, I want to read it, but I can't keep up. I can't read 10 Microsoft articles a day, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, it's not possible. And so I just kind of kept going in that direction. And then, you know, I didn't really know what dark stocks were until like I started my blog and I started and then like people started emailing me. So I wrote up a stock, I wrote up another stock, you know, you write up a stock and then you post, I, I would post the link like on the Yahoo message board or iHub message board for that stock and just say like, you know, I wrote this thing up and I'd get an email or two from someone on there that was like, oh, that's interesting. You like this stock. What about this other one? And then was it, was, it, uh, was it intelligent life out there or was it semi-intelligent <laughs> life or was it uh, like a Wall Street, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, sort of a level of response. What, what, what did you, what did you find? <laughs> it's a, it's a mix. It's for sure. Like I get some messages from people that are just, they don't know what they're doing and, and they're recommending something that's just total junk. 
penny stock crap. Um, you know, I've been contacted by a few like stock promoters that want me to write about something that's just like their thing that they've probably been paid for. Um, but there's some very smart people. So some, there's some really, you know, some people have, have emailed me and like, Oh, I've been doing this for decades. Uh, you know, my big, my biggest positions are these ones and they'll name them off and they're like huge positions. And I'm just like, man, these guys have really built up some major wealth this way. Um, so there, there's for sure some very smart people that have, that have contacted me. Um, and that's how I got into dark stocks. It was like, you know, I wrote up some of these smaller stocks and then people started emailing me, Hey, check out this one, check out this one. And it was like, Oh, this one has no filings. What do you mean? And be like, Oh, you got to go to their website. They have something posted on their website or, or it'd be like, no, this one, they don't post anything. But if you contact the company, they'll like mail you a paper copy of the annual. So then I started doing this stuff and, and finding these other ones and kind of just going more and more into that rabbit hole. So, so you're kind of touching on this, but like, can you just give us at a high level, like what your search strategy is? Is, yeah. it, is it people reaching out to you from other stuff that you've written up at this point where it's like, Hey, look at this. Hey, look at that. I mean, we, we've been involved in a few things, but like, you know, I it, systematizing the search strategy I find is kind of difficult. So I'm, I'm curious if you, you have any uh, tips, tricks, et cetera, that you've, you've learned over time. Um, yeah. So the way, you know, the way I started, and I guess the way I still do it is kind of this like crowd of people approach. Like when I started, it was, I was following these different blogs and following these different people on seeking alpha. And so whatever they talk about, then I would go look at like, you know, if you, if you find someone you think is thinks like you and is smart and knows what they're doing, like if they like a different stock, it's like, okay, I should go check that out and see if it's right for me. And so that's what I was doing. And then once I started writing, people started contacting me with ideas, you know, oh, you like that one? How about these? And, and list out a few others. And so um, that's still basically what I do. And then like, I follow people on Twitter. And, and so people yeah. will like, I have a long list of stocks that people have mentioned to me. And I just kind of keep that list. And I periodically look back through it, you know, what, you know, for years, like I have the same stocks on the list from five years ago. And I'll look at like, what is down a lot over the last year, you know, what's at yeah. a 52 week low, what's down hundred percent, 90%, mm-hmm. you know, what's like, what looks bad. And I'll go and investigate those, look at those. Um, you know, I have, I have friends, I know people who they've done the A to Z thing or they, they read filings just constantly. Um, I don't have time for that. Like, you know, I have a full-time job engineering. I have kids and a wife, you know, I, I like kind of do this in my spare time. Yeah. So, I pretty much, I, I guess I'm kind of just like patient with this long list. You know, when I, I noticed the same thing you did, like when I used to follow and, and look at these stocks more from like OTC adventures, like it moved right away. And it's like, I missed out. I can't buy it. But so what I would do is read the, read the articles from two years ago. OTC adventures, that's Dave Waters, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're, I think we're going to have him on soon. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The same thing. I mean, like they, they just, I, I, it's, it's interesting because if, if it's small enough, you can sort of become the opinion setter on the, uh, you know, you're the one that has the leading opinion on this, on this company, whenever they put something out. And that's always a good place to be. Cause like, you know, if you see, if you see something that, that happens, you, you know, and you can process it faster. That's like, you actually have a real analytical and like processing advantage in, in this space of the market. Uh, at least that's what we found. I don't know if you found the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know about it. And then like whatever new comes out that adds to the story, it's like another piece of the puzzle. It's easier to add it in. 
So a lot of these companies are pretty secretive. Like, how do you go about getting information? Sometimes it's on their website. Sometimes it's not. Um, you know, is it? Is, have you, have you, you've seen everything. I'm sure it's, you know, all over the map. Um, and maybe that bleeds into some of your perhaps war stories. If I recall, you, you, I don't, did, did you work with some other investors to get, to try to like get information from a company and like you wind up having to sue in like a Delaware chancery court or something, if I recall. Yeah. Um, you know, like, just, I mean, we go, we have investment battle stories, but I think you might just have information gathering <laughs> battle stories. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's all over the place. That one is still ongoing. So yes, a group, a group of us, uh, there's, there's a company and it looks super cheap. If you just look at their, their products and their, their, their stuff on Amazon, whatever. Um, but they don't, they haven't filed anything. They haven't put anything out for years and you know, they're incorporated in Delaware. So uh, the Delaware state law is like, if you are as a shareholder, if you request records, they have to give them to you, right? Like a balance sheet, an income statement, um, you have to be able to inspect it. Um, but these guys, they just won't do it. And they're just basically daring you to take them to court. So uh, one of us did, and that's been ongoing like for years now. It's, <laughs> it's still, it's like, I, I forget, it's a year and a half now or something in the courts. And now there's another court date set for later this year. And it's just like appeal, appeal, deny the, something. And it, so like some of the, some of the companies, a lot of them, once they deregister, at least the ones I follow are, they're like real companies, real revenue, real products. Um, so I, you know, I invest in all these tiny little penny stocks, but they're real companies. They're just very small. Um, and so a lot of them, once they deregister, they keep filing on OTC markets. Mm -hmm. And so that's usually where I go. That's where I go for all my like research, OTC markets and a, and a stock chart. Um, but they, so some companies post just on their own website, they don't post anywhere else. And so if you go to their website, they'll have like a financial uh, investor relations page or something, and they might post some, some things there. They're not always audited. Sometimes it's just kind of like, there's one I own, they, the guy puts out just kind of like a, a quarterly like CEO letter, but it's like a paragraph. And all he says is like revenue, you know? So the numbers are very, almost, almost nothing. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> some of them, there's one, they send out a paper copy only of the annual and they don't put anything online because they think if they put it online, their competitors will see it and, and it's a disadvantage. Uh, you know, some of them totally disappear. Some of them require you to sign an NDA and those I try to stay away from because I can't even, right. you can't even talk with other people about it. So what's the point? Um, right, right. Huh. So that's, so that's interesting. There's a lot of different uh, sort of threads to, to tug on there. And Eric, so which one do you want to pull on? What's your due diligence process? So if you have a company that's, you know, the CEO is just putting out a paragraph saying, here's the revenue where do you go from there? What, what, what's next? <laughs> well, um, you know, first of all, I'm happy to see some information when I see that it's better than nothing. And it tells me, you know, likely most people are thinking like, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to buy that stock. So there's, there's less competition for me um, to own it. But like, you know, when I hear about a name, the first thing I do is pull up a stock chart and I look at the chart. That's like number one. So if it's, and I want a stock that's at like a long-term low because I want to buy at this, you know, I try to buy a lot of these tiny little companies at the point of like maximum pessimism when the market just hates it. They think they're going to die. They think there's nothing left. Um, 
And so I, I like these charts where the stock is down at a 30 year low or a 20 year low or something. And it's just low and flat and boring. Cause at that point, like, I don't think anyone else is looking at it. Everyone who has, they own it, if they do, you know, yeah, literally like a lot of these, like, it's just, they rarely trade. And when they do trade, you think probably like it's an estate sale because someone died, you know? Right. Um, right. So like I start with that and I'll throw away, like I only want low priced stocks because they move more. I don't want a stock that costs a hundred dollars. I want a stock that costs like 10 cents. Um, and then, and then I go to OTC markets and I get a filing or whatever I can. And I want like low share count because that moves more. Mm -hmm. And I want, um, you know, and then I, I mostly, I kind of look at like revenue and book value and earnings. Most of my stocks don't have any earnings, but, um, you know, cheap relative to those things. If there's any assets hidden, mm -hmm. um, you know, what's the, what's the, is there any preferred or warrants or anything? You know, my favorite stocks are these ones that have like a few million shares outstanding and there's, there's no warrants or anything. So it's real clean, yeah. um, low share count, high inside ownership. Let me ask you a question. Do you tend to own a lot of them? Like, it sounds like with this strategy, you kind of have to own a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I own uh, 50 or 60 stocks right now. And it's because like, I see all these ones and they're all this similar like they all, I think, have this potential to go way up. And if a stock is like a $3 million market cap, like it doesn't take much to move it, you know, like one order, one contract, one CEO change can make a huge difference and, and double, triple a stock. And so I see all these stocks that, that are like, I think that one's going to survive another 10 years. It's priced so low that it can't go any lower. So like, I might as well buy it and see what happens. Yeah. But I don't know which ones are going to move. And do you just like hang a bunch of buy limits out there? Is that how you sort of build the portfolio? And um, how, how does that happen? I we own stuff that trades by appointment, and like if we see a big bid out there, like I kind of know who's involved in it, and I'll call them up and I say like, "Is that you?" And they'll be like, "Oh yeah, it's me." No, it's not me. And like you know, <laughs> it's you know like that kind of thing. Uh, how about yourself? It, I have seen some like that where I see some, or I see some buying activity and I'll message someone, was that you? And they're like, yeah, that was me. I saw it. And so I do a lot of just kind of watching everything all the time. So I, st I check my stocks like constantly throughout the day. I'm always looking at the bid and ask what's available, what's for sale. And I'm kind of, you know, like these stocks are very illiquid. So I buy my positions over months and years, like just mm -hmm. kind of all the time. Cause I, you know, you, I can't get enough at, at one shot and the charts always moving around. The stock's always moving. News is flowing. So it's, it's like if, if I own one and then some news comes out and it's like, Oh, the turnaround might actually happen. Oh, they're, they're not dead. Oh, they filed something for the first time in three years. Like maybe there's something there. So I'll buy some more. And usually I kind of take what I can get. I don't have a lot of orders just sitting, um, Cause I've like, I've missed out on a lot of them where I, you know, the bid and the ask is there and I try to put something at the low end and just wait like a good mm -hmm. till canceled limit order, just wait. And then the stock runs and I miss it. So yeah. I don't do that as much anymore. Sometimes I do, but more than that, I kind of like, I'll take what I can get and then just keep watching constantly. And it's like, Oh, a few thousand shares shows up available. Like take it. Yeah. yeah. I think we've done a similar thing. We often look for, for some size and then sort of, I guess getting out is it the same deal? 
Um, <laughs> There's no way out, man. Uh, it's like, what's the scaling out process like? Yeah, Eric and I have a buddy who once coined it as like uh, sort of, you see some activity and you sort of want to get out. So you sort of start to feed the birdies as he, as he mentioned it and yeah. sort of like, you know, you throw a little out there, you throw a little more, you throw, you know, eventually, you know, you've gotten it down. Is it the same pro is it a similar process for you or is it, is it a little different? Um, yeah. I mean, there's not really a way out other than that, or just waiting for some big event like that, you know, the, like I cannot, you know, I own way more than one day's worth of volume on a lot of these stocks because they rarely trade. So it's like, you can't just yeah. sell sell out. So to get in and to get out is like a little bit at a time. Like I buy in a little bit at a time to get out. You know, most of the time when I sell though, it's like a big event. Like what I do is I buy these stocks and every one of them I think has this potential to go up like 5X, 10X, 20X, like big, big changes. And for my strategy to work, I have to have these ones that have like huge gains because I also have a lot that die. They go down 80%, 90%, 70% and they're just kind of like, it's gone. Um, yeah. So a lot of times I'm waiting just for some event to happen. And so that's why I want these ones that are low priced, one cent, two cent, 20 cents, you know, and low, low share count so that the, the supply is low when that demand comes. And right. so sometimes they'll put out a press release or announce an order, or sometimes there's nothing, there's no news at all. And the stock jumps up hundred, 200% and volume is through the roof. Yeah. You know? we have those lately. We, we call it being chosen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like some pumper, I guess, like on a chat room somewhere, maybe who knows, but like, you know, one, we, have, we have we have no idea. We just see it going on. You just it's, wake it's, up one morning. It's like okay, this is what's happening today. Eric yeah. Eric sends me the gif of the uh, the Toy Story where with the crane comes down, picks, plucks the alien out, and Buzz Lightyear he's being drawn away. He's like, I've been chosen, and that's just <laughs> like there's just like no more perfect gif for for that in that environment. I just I, it's, but like that's what's happening these days, and I, I don't understand it, but it's happening. So yeah, uh, I mean that that's part of my like my way of, of doing stocks is, is like, I go in those same types of stocks. Cause I'm trying to get, you know, I'm, I'm looking for stocks that will give me the maximum price movement. Right. I'm, right. I'm not, I'm not trying to be the smartest guy in the room. I'm not trying to, you know, sell books or anything. I'm trying to uh, just get the most money I can out of this. And so I look for these stocks that I think will move the most so they're like these companies in, in areas that I think have high potential, you know, security or biotech or medical or whatever tech stuff. And get excited about. right. Something that someone is going to get excited about. You know, I own some that are these boring industrial companies that just like they have a bunch of real estate or something. And I own some of those, but they're less exciting to me. And so I think, you know, like the Momo crowd and these penny stock pumpers, like they look for the same types of stuff I do because they're they're trying to find stocks they can push easily. Right. Right. And so sometimes you see a big jump and it's like, well, I guess they found my stock, whatever, I'll sell it. And then two days later, it's back down and buy back. Yeah. So you've had from your blog, you've had some adventures over time. And part of our store, our, our, our podcast, the we started this for a couple different reasons. One was to meet interesting people like yourself. And the other is to sort of just share our experiences and learn from the experiences of other people. And so um, from your blog, you've had a lot of them. I don't know if you've had any, any that you'd like to share with, with us and people that listen to our podcast, but. Uh, yes, I got, I got a winner and a loser. So what do you want first? Just give us the loser. Losers are more fun. <laughs> All right. So loser. So um, 
these ones, it's both stocks I've written about on my blog. Like I said, you know, I own these things for many years and, and I have no problem holding for many years. So I buy over many years. I'll buy it. Some I buy and it's a tiny position. And then like years later, there's some change or something. And so I'll build a much larger position. So like even after I write about a stock on my blog, oftentimes most of my buying is after I write about it. So I'll write about it. And then just kind of as time goes on, like as things change, I'll keep buying more and more. Or if it's junk, I'll just let it sit and rot. Now when you're writing about it on the on the blog before you've bought a full position, is part of that to sort of see what other people may know about it? So maybe it can help your sort of due diligence process since you have a good readership now? No, I mean, I buy a full position before I write about it. It's just that over time, that definition of full position changes. I Take think. more money, your portfolio grows and the full position becomes bigger. Right. So that that's definitely some of it. You know, a stock that I wrote about like five years ago, I mean, my portfolio is much larger now than it was then. So there's some like I bought and say it was like 4% of my portfolio. And now it's it's half or quarter a percent just because like it didn't grow as much as the rest of mine. So I'll, I'll buy more. Um, or, or it's like I'll buy as much as I have available at that time. Like a lot of these, you can't get as much as you want. So yeah. You know, you're able to get, say, like, you know, so I own 50 stocks, right? So that would be an average of 2% per, per position. Like, I have some that are up around 10% positions. I have a lot of positions that are like less than 1%. They're just like these little ones, but at least I follow it if I own it. Um, so sometimes yeah. I'll buy what I can and then write about it. And then six months, a year later, like, for whatever reason, more stock is available and I'll just keep buying it. Mm -hmm. And do you sort of leave little residual positions in your account just so you've kind of kept the tab on it, at least like out of sight? It's not out of sight, out of mind. Is that something that you do as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I rarely like I do way more buying than selling. I rarely sell. Mm -hmm. I sell most of the times when I sell, it's some giant movement, some huge event happened and I sell into that. Um, otherwise, I'll just kind of hold like I don't do selling based on like, oh, it hit my valuation target. Like I, I don't sell like that because that you know, the market, if the market thinks the valuation is five times higher than I do, why sell, you know, if they're going to keep pushing it higher? You know, there's a very prominent stock right now that's that's trading on that, on that very premise. <laughs> yeah. And that's when you see those, that's what makes me think like, why why sell? I, you know, I had one earlier this year. Um, it went up five, six hundred percent. I sold it and then it kept going up like five, six X after that. And I'm like, yeah. why did I sell? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So um, we got off, we got off track there. So the, the <laughs> okay, the loser. Okay, so it's Vicon V C O N used to be stock ticker V I I. They're mm -hmm. this tiny uh, security company that I wrote up on my blog like a few years ago. Um, they make like you security. Still I still own it. Yes, I do. Um, you do not. <laughs> it's super illiquid, super tiny, um, rarely trades but they, they make like video management security systems for surveillance, right? So like I said, I'm trying to buy these stocks that sound like they could do something exciting. It's not a, a like a melting ice cube. Um, I'm down a lot on this stock, but I have sold it. This stock has had a few like of these big spikes I talk about, like 100% spikes where I sell, then I buy back. So I'm, I'm down a whole lot on my average price, but I have made some, I don't, I don't know really where my position is, but. Um, You've recouped some trading it around. I have, right? So I bought like, say, about five years ago, because um, it was kind of this cheap, you know, it was cheap. If you look at revenue, it was losing money. 
but it was like, man, if, if they can turn around and, and stop losing money, it could be a big winner. Um, they had someone who owned like 46% of it. And in, in 2018, in March, 2018, this company, um, Chemtrex, CETX bought that 46% and they installed their own, one of their guys as CEO. And so at that point, I'm like getting excited because I'm like, oh, there's some change. Like I'm always looking for change. So maybe something will actually happen with this tiny security company and it won't be a dud. Um, that's my hope. And that, <laughs> right. And, and then a few months later, they changed their name, the stock ticker from uh, VII to VCON and they delisted from the New York Stock Exchange. And so at that point is when I wrote it up on my blog, because there's like some change event here, like, oh, they have this new CEO. They have a new big owner. They changed their stock ticker. Like, oh, something's happening. Like, this is great. So I write it up on my blog. And I mean, now it's just been straight down. I mean, let me, so they, you know, right away they announced a restructuring plan. And um, here's, here's a quote from them. So the, the CEO says, we have now taken a number of steps to put Vicon on a path for long-term success. We believe that Vicon has a bright future and with the changes we're making, the company will be more competitive and valuable over the long-term. You know, our immediate goal is to get the company into cash flow positive situation, you know, in the next fiscal year. Well, if you look at the chart, it's just a nosedive from there. So like they have not followed through and it, it just gets worse. So like uh, six months later, they deregister from the SEC. So that was uh, in 2019, early 2019, and they just stopped communicating. So this is one of those stocks where they deregister. So I own a lot of these dark stocks and it's just because I owned them before they went dark. And this is one of those, where, but they deregistered and they just never talked again. No communication yep. at all. And then... Later in 2019, all of a sudden, there's a stock split, one for 2,000. But they didn't announce it. They didn't tell anyone. It's just like all of a sudden, the stock. They, they sent something to FINRA that said we're doing 2,000 to one. And by the way, cash out anybody who has less than 2,000. I guess. Like all, The only way you know about it is if you go on the OTC Markets site, like on the security details page for them, you can see that it's there. And you can see it, of course, in the chart and the trading is way down because now it's, it's super illiquid. Did it show up on Finra's daily list or is that not something that you that you check? On, on what? Did it show up on Finra's daily list or is that something that... I, I don't know. I, I don't okay. check that. Um, but yeah, they, so they did this in the dark without telling anyone. And then, um, so then the stock dropped way down. And I was like, oh, geez. So the stock, it, it went way, way down. And the market cap was something like $100,000. And this is a company that had 30 million in revenue, you know? Oh, wow. So that's where, you know, you asked like, how do you get any value out of a CEO telling you only the revenue? Well, right there, like it has to be cheap. Like, I don't care what they're doing. $100,000 for 30 million in revenue is cheap. Well, and you, right? and you have some idea of what the rest of the capital structure looks like, right? Just because you've seen. Ah, yeah, there's, there's the question. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So right away, I'm like, this is crazy. So I start trying to buy. I can't get any because it's so illiquid. I got like literally one share a few days, like, which is just so aggravating. <laughs> but um, like for actual we one share. We, we, we know this very feeling and it's uh, we, we sympathize. Yeah. So then, so like I said, they, they just stopped communicating, um, but their 46% uh, ownership was from this company, CETX, which is a public company. They have filings, right? So if you go and read CETX filings, you can see some information because this is their like subsidiary right. or whatever. And right, so right. I, I read some CETX filings and they they casually drop that that um, the share count has something like doubled at least, but I don't know for sure. 
It's just that they say, oh, um, what did it say? Oh, the company acquired 15 million shares of Vicon in exchange for $300,000 owed by Vicon to the company for services provided, which sounds to me like they charged themselves for doing consulting or some, something stupid. And so then they sold it themselves. It sounds like it's possible that this company is going to not treat the minority holder. <laughs> Dude, it's horrible. But they only had like 17 million shares <laughs> outstanding. So they... They had 17 million shares outstanding and they sold themselves 15 million shares. Um, so at yeah. that point I was like, okay, maybe I shouldn't be buying because I just don't know because, but, but then so, it, so it went from 15 to 17. That's conveniently enough to give them 51% and complete control. Well, yeah, but in the, but in the filing, they also said they had gone. So previously they were 46% shareholders. They said, Oh, now we're 70. They went to 70% shareholders. Oh, wow. So, but if you calculate based on that change, 46% to 70% with 15 million shares, that means the outstanding should actually be 62 million. So they somehow more shares popped up and they gave them to someone. I don't know who, probably. So it's just like, oh geez. So now the share count is three or four times, I guess what it was. I don't know. <laughs> question mark, right? Question mark. We only learned two where the share counts a question mark too. We, uh, yeah. It's a, it's a common problem that we encounter. So um, that's, that's like one question I frequently ask these dark companies is like, is your share count, is your, you know, do you have any preferred or anything or is it the same as it was when you last filed a 10K, you know, six years ago or something? Yeah. Oh. And how often are you reaching out to companies in the management teams? Pretty frequently. I mean, I don't do like a lot of interviewing. You know, I used to do that more. Right. With like questions about the business and trying to figure out their positioning and stuff like that. I, I don't do that so much, but I'll pretty frequently email them just trying to get some information. There's one company that I know they own a bunch of like real estate, but they have no information on it. And so like, I guess at their, I, I, they don't, and they don't list any email address. Right. And I don't like calling on the phone. So I just take a guess at the email address based on their name and like the company name. And after a handful of guesses, like I got it right. And the email went through, uh, but then they just respond back like, you know, we can't, we're, we're not a publicly traded company. We're private. Like some of them, buzz, buzz themselves. Off. yeah, buzz off. So I usually, my questions to management are just things like that. Like, you know, what's your plan on filing after you deregister? Um, you know, oh, you haven't had a filing in two years. Like when, it, when are you going to have something else? And they'll, they'll give me why or, or yeah, why maybe not. Maybe attention to like what state they're incorporated in because Delaware, you mentioned Delaware and you're like, that's the best probably that you can hope for. Um, Lord help you if you have to go to Nevada or uh, yeah. Maryland corps are pretty tough too, right? Like, is that, is that something that you've spent some time on, had some experience with? And is that sort of like a disqualifier in your mind? It's a red flag if I see Nevada. Now that that doesn't mean I won't buy the stock, um, but it's just one piece of the puzzle, you know? So like most of them are Delaware. So I like to see when it's Delaware because I know at least state laws on my side, right. not, that, not that it's easy to enforce that, but um, if right. you see Nevada, it's kind of like, eh, I mean, I don't like it, but still if something is super cheap, I'll buy it anyways. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Um, all right. So maybe the anatomy of something that maybe worked out. How did, how did, <laughs> right. uh, so like, what typically happens when it's working? Is it a series of like increasing amounts of information that come to you? And then like, maybe the company wants to 
tell other investors and maybe then uplist and like, is, is it some combination of those things or am I just being too simplistic about it? No, that, I mean, that's part of my strategy, right? So a, a lot of times I'll buy these dark ones and it's like the company doesn't even have to improve operationally for the stock to be a winner because if they aren't communicating, if all they do is communicate, the stock will move. Sometimes you'll see stocks just like a company hasn't filed anything for five or 10 years and then they'll all of a sudden put out some press releases and people watch that and they'll start buying it. It'll go up, it'll double, it'll triple just because there's some information flow. And that's just kind of telling people like, oh, this company is not dead. They might actually do something. Um, so yeah, so that's part of the story on this one. So this next one has is, is been a, um, a big winner for me just recently. It, it shot up a lot because they announced a very, very large contract, um, large enough that you question if it's real, but um, so. <laughs> Well, maybe that's another conversation. Uh, <laughs> but the, the stock movement is there, so like I don't care, you know. Right. Uh, um, you so still own I still own it. Yes, so I own this EKCS Electronic Control Security. I've owned it since like about 2015, I think. I've wrote it up on my blog a couple of times. Um, yeah. Eric and I have no position. Yeah, just, just we do not own it. Okay, it's another. Regret it's, it sounds really like regrettably we have no position. So. Can you, uh, <laughs> I mean, they can go one of two ways. So either it goes like this one that goes up a lot or it goes like uh, Vicon, which just dies. And so. So how did you find this one? So this one, um, it was a friend of mine, you know, who emailed me. Like there, there's one guy who gives me most of my ideas. So there's one guy who I met through my blog and he has been doing this for decades and he just knows everything. Like I'm never able to tell him a stock he doesn't already know. And um, so he'll send me ideas, like lists of ideas. Hey, check these ones out and just like name off five or 10 tickers. This may be something we could put a pin until the end, but um, there was a recent regulatory change and there were a lot of comment letters that went in and in, in advance of that. Was he one of the commenters? I, th I don't think he was on the most recent. Okay. He's had so many times like sending angry letters to the SEC that he's kind of given up. Got it. All right, um, proceed. <laughs> like there were some colorful comment letters that went in. There, yes, which there should be. I mean, it's it's aggravating. Um, yeah. So EKCS, um, right? So so basically, in, in my the way I do the way I invest is I own all these stocks, and like I said, I need some of them to be these big winners to make up for the dead stocks. And um, at the moment, EKCS is one of those. Who knows if it'll stay? It could go back down, but. So years ago I bought because they had been awarded these. So they were dark. They had stopped um, filing. They had deregistered in uh, 2014 and then um, just nothing came out like for a year. Um, but they, they had on their old filings, these huge IDIQ contracts from the government worth up to like $300 million. And the market cap was like 250K. What are, what are IDIQ contracts? Right, so indefinite delivery indefinite quantity. So the way these government contracts work is they, like their people, their people, like their agencies are not allowed to just go buy something from, you know, any company. It has to be approved. It's tax holder, uh, taxpayer money. So it's got to like, there's a lot of red tape. So for, for if they want to buy like a diesel generator, if they want to buy a car, if they want to buy anything, it has to be like an approved, uh, purchaser. So companies get to be approved for whatever. So, so EKCS, they do also this perimeter security. So if you have like a, a power plant 
and you want fences and you want surveillance and you want some like security tags to go through the doors, like they can set all that stuff up for you, right? And so government agencies that would have say prisons or military bases or something, and they wanna have security, like, like EKCS was one of the approved vendors they're allowed to spend money with. So IDIQ contract, all it means is the government has approved you as a vendor. Someone could give you a contract, but there's no guarantee. Right. Got it. So you can get anywhere from zero to 300 million, but it's never going to be in excess of 300 million. But it could also be yes. nothing. Right, right. As it so turns they out, these, they had all these contracts on the books where they were the government was approved to spend up to X with them. Yes. And it was just like comically large versus the market cap, right? You're like, this stock is $250,000. They have, you know, just like a couple million in revenue. But then they have these contracts that are huge. And it's just like, man, if just one of those hits, it's going to be a big winner, right? Yeah. That's my thinking when I bought it, right? It was just like, you know, I think, and they have this CEO who's like in his 80s. And so that point of view is also like, well, something has to happen. I don't know what's going to happen, but he's got to like, like sell the company or give it to a kid or something. And there's be some kind of change. And then on the side, you have this potential for a huge, huge gain if the government, even if they don't follow through with an order, if they just announce an order, there's going to be a huge spike in the stock, right? So, so those yeah. are all the reasons I was buying it. Um, as it turned out, like not much came from those big IDIQ contracts. Like I think they did get a few million maybe in revenue, but, but nothing much. Um, right. so, so like I said, the company deregistered and they just stopped talking for a year. There was nothing for a year. And then in 2015, they put out a full year worth of filings, like four quarterlies, three quarterlies, and the annual, like all in the same day. And they got current again. And then they disappeared again for another five years. <laughs> like, um, but in those five years that they were disappeared that second time, they, um, you know, when I talked to the CEO, he was very forthcoming. He would tell you about it. It's just like, you know, it's the CEO is also that like, he's not taking a salary because they don't have the money to pay him. The company owes him a bunch of money it's only a, it's a tiny company. So he's probably also doing the payroll. He's probably also HR. He's probably also all these things. Right. And he's Chief, old Chief cook and bottle washer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and um, so during those times when they were, they're dark, they were sending out like a letter, like a physical letter mailed written address to you. If you're on their list of shareholders, not even list of shareholders. Like if you had contacted them and said, I want your letters. So <laughs> Like, and I blogged, about, I, I mentioned this on the blog. So a number of readers emailed me and like, can you get me on this list? <laughs> and, and I'd email this email like, hey, this other person, uh, can you also send the letters to them? And it was just like a quarterly letter that would say. So weird. <laughs> it's, super, it's super weird. And it didn't come through the broker or anything. I didn't get it like from Fidelity or Schwab. It was just directly from the company, like from his secretary or something. Um, but it would be this letter that's a little bit about like the business. And then it would have like three financial, like we have this much revenue, you know, we lost a hundred K um, and like, that's about it. Hmm. And, and then, so that was, that went on for a few years. Then um, a few months ago, they started, well, oh, sorry. So they put out one annual at the end of 2019 and then nothing again. And then a few months ago. So right now we're in, in March, 2021, like six months ago, they put out like, three quarterlies on one day. And then two days later, they put out two annuals and three more quarterlies. And so they got like, they did it again where they got like all caught up 
on one day. <laughs> and so you see this, and you're like, oh, that's exciting. Like something's happening. I don't know what's happening, but there's got to be something. Why would they do that? And, and then they started putting out some press releases. So like they don't normally put out any press releases, no communication of any kind. But then, you know, a few months later, they put out a press release about how they've, they have a new line of like water filtration, monitoring something. Um, they, they put out another press release like in January this year about how they've engaged like a, a marketing firm to help them reach more customers. So they put out a few of these and then I, so I bought a little bit more of the stock cause it's like, they're doing something. I don't know what they're doing, but like, at least they're communicating. And were your letters still handwritten? <laughs> no, once they, once they came current again, they stopped with the, with the letters. The no, letters were typed, but the letters were typed, but the address on the, on the thing, on the. No, I know, I know. <laughs> Just being funny. It's so ridiculous. But um, <laughs> in the middle of all that darkness, the stock did run up like 10 X because like geo investing talked about it. Um, but I missed it. I like, I didn't sell into it. I was just like, I don't know, slow that day or something. So it went up and it came back down. Um, but then like a few weeks ago, they announced this $85 million contract that they've, that they've signed for phase one for some North African country border security. So the phase one is 85 million. They say 85 million is their share of that. Um, and the market cap is 2 million. So. So wondering whether or not it's real, you got North African country, you know, like I, I feel like you've got, you know, a contract in the Sudan. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you can you question if it's, <laughs> you know, like, um, so I haven't sold it. I still hold it because like, so right now the market cap is, is 10 million or 12 million or something, but it's like, if that actually, follows through like the stock is up a lot because yeah. of that and um if that actually follows through and revenue actually starts showing up it's supposed to start deliveries like later this year i think um and are they still current on their financials so you'll be able to see that if it happens or is it uh... <laughs> i mean you know it's day to day with them but they are right now <laughs> <All right. laughs> well, we'll see what happens in a couple of months <laughs> that's basically it yeah so um yeah, that's wow. Wow. <laughs> that's interesting. And so that right. one is one I oh, so both of those are ones I owned like for like five years. The loser, I did buy some more along the way when I thought something was happening. And then the the winner, I I, I bought more along the way a few times just as kind of like the, the story improved. Right, right. Um oh. but yeah, it's this kind of patience and buying these stocks that look like they might die and hopefully they won't. And one is up a whole lot and one is dead. Um. I mean, it's, it's, it's a barbell approach, right? I mean, it's, but then the convexity when it works on the good ones, hopefully more than makes up for all the ones that don't work, right? Yeah, that's the idea. Okay. I, I was excited going into this conversation and you, you didn't disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have any uh, stuff. for investigating some of, some of these companies? Uh, to, to, like any tips to, tip to like, are you monitoring like, I don't know, website changes. Uh, people do all kinds of crazy things. I, so I listened to a podcast earlier this year where for a contingent value, right. They had some folks parked outside a manufacturing facility monitoring whether or not people from the FDA people wearing suits that might've been from the government showed up, you know, just, <laughs> I don't expect that level of insanity, but like, but maybe we oh, should expect that. I don't. All of us have some personal level of insanity that they invest in this. I just, 
was kind of curious to hear if, if you if, if you're willing to share any of yours. Yeah, so um, the way I follow so many stocks is with conferencecalltranscripts.org. I don't know if you know about them, but you can go create a free account and they'll email you when whenever any of your account, any of your stocks has a filing or a press release. Mm -hmm. So, and they also have a feature where they'll email you if a website changes. Oh, really? So that is great. And so I use that. And so some of these ones that like, they only post the updates on their own website, like all conference call transcripts will email me when they, they pull something new. Some of these stocks, like they have like a blog, like a, like a president's blog or something on their website. And so I'll follow that the same way. Um, I will look a lot of times when I hear about a new company and I'm wondering if it's, if it's real or what kind of like I'll go and you can search different states incorporation. Like if you just Google like uh, Delaware uh, um, company incorporation, like you can go and you can search and it'll, sometimes it'll tell you director's names um, mm. or, or the CEO's name. So, so you'll be able to say like, okay, at least the directors are the same or different from the last time they filed. Um, right. You know, I'll, I'll do sometimes that or looking on LinkedIn, just to try to find names of people to try to contact. Because yeah. sometimes you, you know, there's one company that like this tiny, super tiny company that hadn't filed in years. And I contacted them. I forget how I even found someone's contact info, but the guy emailed back and was just like, yeah, our, you know, our CFO uh, passed away and nobody has really done that for a couple of years. Here's the last thing I found on his, on his hard drive. And it's like an Excel file of their like balance sheet from, from two years ago or a year ago. Wow, <laughs> and it's like, well, that's cool. This is the more information than is available anywhere else. But um, so most of my snooping is around trying to find, you know, info like that. Um, I'm not parking myself out of it outside any companies. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet. Yeah, maybe as yeah, my operations yeah. expand. I think it's a good good place to wrap up. I think that's a good place to sort yeah. of leave it off. This was a great conversation, Dan. Thanks for coming on and chatting with us. I'm, Thank you. We're really happy to meet you. We really like the blog. Uh, Where can people follow you, listen to what you're up to, hear your thoughts? Um, yeah, so my my blog is nonamestocks.com, um, one word. I'm also on Twitter at nonamestocks. Uh, most of my tweeting is just saying I have a new blog post, but on my blog, there's like an about me page that has my email. So people can email me there. Um, I love hearing from people talking with people. So uh, that's the best way. Very cool. Awesome. Thank cool. you. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. Really enjoy the conversation. Uh, enjoy all your material. Please keep it up. Um, and for, from where we sit, if you want to hear more episodes, uh, we're available anywhere podcasts are available. You can check us out at inmarkettrenches.podbean.com. You can check us out at snn.network or the SNN YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash snnwire. We'll talk to you all soon. Thank you again, Dan. Thank you. Thanks. Bye, guys. The information in this podcast is educational in general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.